But as we went back and forth, I think we can all um, acknowledge that the benefit to have more guides if possible for safety purposes. So we changed that to say there must be at least two guides per tour. So it limits the number of clients, the number of tours per day, but um, you would have explained that um, depending on people's um, experience. Yeah, so typically what we do is we try to pair people accordingly to other groups. So a lot, we'll get like a lot of two and twos that book. So we've got, you know, let's say we have eight people that are booked, half are really good, half are not so good. Instead of having them all together with two guides, we'll often take one guide with two people or one guide with four people. So that we feel does a better job for the client as well as the overall you know, service that's being offered. Because yeah, you could do all eight together and have two guides. But in a lot of cases, you know, we'll have eight people out and there might be three guides because all three different groups are different abilities. So we feel that we're able to do a much better job on that, you know, profiles than just a standard, oh, yep, here's your eight people, 16 people per group, whatever it is. And you got one guy in the back and one guy in the front. When we do the large groups, you know, you get eight people, 10 people in a group, whatever it is. That is when you'll have, you know, your eight customers, your one guy on the front, your one guy in the back. But for those smaller groups, it makes more sense to have the guy with the smaller group kind of catering to that certain individual or individuals. Are you done? Um, and then um, regarding the overall permit conditions, we are also suggesting to review condition number 11, number 11, which is no longer relevant. Condition number five addresses the issue um, having to do with um, annual permits and um, in addition to our new revised fee schedule. And then, as we mentioned, combined condition number 17 and 28, as we just presented in the prior slide. Then um, we are requesting to revise condition number 27. And um, that would be involved just um, some tweaks to that condition that there shall be no customer or staff parking on the county road. Or more service or employee to. Um, we are also recommending to swap condition number 29. Um, and I have a word document I will bring up, and it is pretty ordered and organized. Sarah will thank you for that, and you and the rest of you. So, um, so with that, um, we revised condition um, of the former 29, and we are actually stating that the tours will begin from the 35 acre parcel that they are creating rather than the county letter maintenance. And then we would add uh, condition number 31, which says the permittee shall submit forest service permits to the planning department prior to operation each season. Um, it's my understanding your negotiations with them, um, whether they're going to extend that to more than a yearly permit. Yep. So um, we thought it was best just to put a condition in there. Yep. Yep. Um, and then based on the discussion we just had regarding maintenance, um, I will bring up the word document, but we just crafted a condition and we want to run that by planning commission and uh, the applicant to make sure um, we are good there. Along with have it available if you'd like to craft additional or subtract any. Oh, I think you're doing an outstanding job. <laughs> so, um, 
condition number 31 we added, which says all on-site maintenance shall take place on the curvy surface and still pits shall be located in the structures. I also do want to highlight condition number 28 and 29, um, which were referenced in the staff report. 28 came from a comment from Northern Bridge and has to do with your access. Um, so you'll need an access permit for that. And yep. We're asking for you to work with them, and they would like for you to move that off of the county right away onto the property. But that can all be addressed through the, that county permit. And then um, in speaking with West Route Fire, uh, they had asked me to coordinate um, with them. We know that you have an emergency operation plan, but they would like for you to check in with them Absolutely. and like with them. Um, so we included that um, specific condition. So talking about them, because I'll ask the question because I'm thinking of it. Yep. Do they have <clears throat> do they have jurisdiction over the fuel storage or is that a state issue? Or do you know? I mean it used to be, well, I don't know about here, but I'm Sally, go ahead. It references the condition that it's state standards. So it is state, it does reference that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but through um we did send West Route Fire a referral. Right. Um, I spoke with them. The fuel um, storage information wasn't part of the narrative, which is why we asked Clay specifically. Got it. We haven't heard back from them if there are any issues, but um, being that they have to coordinate with West Route Fire um, anyway, um, we feel that this could be addressed through the. Okay. Yes, that should take And they can follow up. Did you say specifically about the fuel storage coordinate that with Yeah, yes. yeah, that's fine. Typically, yeah. the fire district doesn't enforce state standards. They just understand where the hazard. Oh yeah, you use the fire department, U.S. Fire Marshal. Yeah. My guess is they probably ask um, that you incorporate some of their concerns into your overall um, emergency operation plan. Yeah. Uh, that if there was an issue, somebody's on fire, apparently. Well, yeah. um, you know, there, there was some protocol in place. So. Yeah. The second question is for, for Clay. Did I understand you to say that one parcel you bought and the other one, is that under contract? I'm sorry, both parcels are under contract with the contingency that this goes through, it will close. If it doesn't, then there's no reason for us to have, you know, purchase those parcels. Okay, because I was just trying to figure out. I had one was owned and one was. I'm sorry, no, both are under contract. Okay. And procedurally, how that would work is. That's what I'm trying that, to figure out. That's part of the project plan and the basis of this amendment. If that doesn't happen, this amendment will go away. Okay. But if the amendment goes away, all the other conditions go away as well. Um, that is true, and that is something that we could come back. And um, and amend conditions. Yeah, I don't, yeah, just yeah, procedurally, I'm trying to understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Any questions for staff? I just kind of interrupted everybody right there, but I had to get up my head. Otherwise, mm -hmm. thing, so. just a quick one on 29. You're basically saying permittee shall end start and end tours from the 35 acre parcel period. This period, and I won't need the rest. Yeah, look up on the, um, yeah, that's on the board document. That's more clear. It's condition it's, number. It's just up. Oh, it's 27. Oh. 
that's from the your number is different than our number. Oh yeah, that's a new document. <laughs> So every yeah, so every year we need that the grooming permit, and then the permission yeah. from them comes after April first. If we were to continue operating after April first, the condition last year was that we get their permission. So we think we can just delay that from the original permit. Actually, last sentence highlighted. Yeah, and what's now twenty eight? So. I find it a little confusing, but I could be wrong. But it seems that you say gravel apron to the property, which probably should just say access to the property and no turnaround in the right of way. So I don't know. It's just gravel apron. There's, there's something out there now that's a metal, I gather. Yeah, that was the language that was provided from Bourbon Branch. Gotcha. If you Wanted to uh, no, I, I don't think I'll wordsmith it. I don't think no, I'm gonna wordsmith it. Mm -hmm. I think I'll, I'll skip that privilege. <laughs> so, in the end, though, you've got a, a, a I know I did call I just a, an overall amendment to the special conditions. I'm thinking, is that what you've got? Or, um, I mean, we just run with that. I'm just trying to figure this out, kind of right. Yes, so are you gonna delete this? Yeah, do you, would you like to delete that highlighted section of 27? Wasn't that your recommendation on this? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah right. right. Um, I think Rent has a question, but um, really quick. Um, I think if you were good with what was presented, you could recommend approval as uh as with the conditions the provided by yeah. yeah yeah okay and then sarah will have uh, this copy and if sarah has it then i'm really good <laughs> <laughs> uh Ren has his hand raised Ren? uh just kind of a geography question making sure i understand this the applicant has historically been using the the route county turnaround he is now contracted to either lease and or purchase 35 acres adjacent to that turnaround is that correct yes yes so that was lynn powell's property which is due east of that turnaround Yep, the 21 acre parcel of Lynn Powell, and then the other parcel, the 15 or 14 point, whatever, is uh, Smith Ranch. Okay, so then the, so the, the, what has historically been leased for your operations, which is significantly further to the north, is completely non contiguous to this, this uh, new, uh, you know, new parcel, new site for operations. That is correct. Yeah. So the actual operation of where our tours take place is not changing, but the location of where we leave from, that's what we're in discussion of tonight. And, and Clay, will will this site require, 
require any grading in order to put that building in and you know proper siting. Meaning, uh, what was that word? Grading. Siting, they, grading. Yeah, yeah. There we um, we will have grading and fill on this site to bring it up to par with you know being level. Correct. And back to back to planning staff, is that an additional permit requirement? Uh, yes, and it would be. <laughs> Any grading that's associated with a building permit is just included in the building permit. So no separate grading and excavating permit would be required. And it's over 300 yards. Building permit. Right? 300 yards is the minimum for maximum. Without a permit, uh, if, if it's associated with a building permit, then there's no grading and excavating permit required, no matter how much earth is moved. Okay. And there's condition number 15, if you um, scroll down, it um, says any required permits from Route County Road and Bridge or the building department shall be obtained and any inspections completed before operations commence. But that's the new 15. Correct. Got it. Thank you. Any other questions for staff at this point or the petitioner? I'd like to open up to the public. Any comments from the public regarding the petition that's before us? Do we have any? Ben, uh, ben Mo? Uh, there's nobody over there. Ben yeah, right. <laughs> <Joe Maya. laughs> okay, hearing none, then I'm going to close the public comment portion of the proceedings this evening. Items for discussion, commissioners, do you have a concern uh, as to whether or not there are major additional offsite impacts or site impacts to this as a result of the petition? The main thing I look at is I suspect this is going to power of some sort. You mentioned solar. Uh, living not too far from here, I might also recommend wind. You know, it doesn't seem like it stops much in the winter as your drivers found out in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're just going to need power because I, I, you mentioned change minor maintenance and somebody's going to want to be inside, you know, and, and lighting, a little bit of lighting. I, I just think you're going to need some source of power. Okay. Probably not part of this application. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. Any other comments or questions for staff? And in terms of, are we concerned about additional impacts? I mean, my sense is it's building after that. I've got a red bar, but I just didn't comment. Oh man, <laughs> personal shots fired. <laughs> okay, uh, it would be the consensus. <laughs> I think the consensus is in terms of items for discussion, we're past that, we're okay. Uh, we need to have a roundtable discussion on the petition, allowing for the fact that. We have made no staff. There are considerable changes to the specific conditions, but we have the utmost faith in our staff to make sure those conditions are appropriate. So, with that, my sense is I'll entertain a motion to recommend the amendment to the SUP of the SUP to the 
and the petition. Move we recommend. And really quick um, about the number of tours. So, so the question is that this requires two guides per tour, and you had made a comment about sometimes you separate tours and one guy will go with two people and another will go with two people. Right. Um, so this doesn't appear to address that or like line up with what you said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, his explanation for one guide for a small two of four makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah, two guides per they, tour, it doesn't matter how you break that. Yeah. Yes, maybe do a ratio, yeah. two yeah. per eight. Two and, per eight. And, and that's kind of it, I guess I interpreted it. So my fault there if we were a little bit off. Um, I thought we wanted, you know, there's more on the minimum side. Usually we have more guides than we need. We've never been short of guides. We've always had enough. Yeah, so, but for our purposes, it doesn't. Yeah, okay, cool. Perfect. There you go. There you go, better ratio. Yeah, perfect. So, one again? more time, you can do it again, right? <laughs> uh, I think you have to be a but yeah, at least you're not restricting them to the project. Yeah. Yeah. Are we ready? We don't know, we're waiting for them. Send us a flare when you're ready. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I move we recommend. Thank you, Brian. 20PL 2020 with the general conditions and specific conditions as amended herein <laughs> and provided by staff. And yep. provided by staff. Second the motion. Thank you. Ryan, and thank you. Um, yeah. Any discussion on the motion? Hearing none, all those in favor of the motion as presented, signify by saying yes. 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 Opposed, yes. yes. say no. Ren, did you weigh in right. on this? That is right. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Chair votes yes. Motion's carried. Yes. Good luck. Thank we'll you. See you yeah. on the BCC. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks very much. Good yeah, thank you guys. Good time, Good as always. Got you that Or difficult. Yeah. A lot of details. What are we going to hear now? Solar? Solar. We should have solar. We'll be in touch with that. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Yeah, I know. I didn't think it was appropriate because it's not her petition today. Right. Yeah, I figured you can deal with that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Those conditions regarding that are still the same as they are, right? No. Well, I, if, starting when, Sarah? 
history. Yeah, I don't know. As I said in my email, I, I looked for it. I, I mean, my notes said what my notes said. Yeah. And I remember that. And then why it wasn't there through me occurred. No, there's definitely loose ends that need to be wrapped up. Something got lost in the translation. Right. Well, the request. No, it doesn't. That's why I didn't want, we didn't need to talk about it. It's about the cluster, but the cluster but it's key. So this bullet just got approved. So there are so this one, this bullet references for service road 42, and they're able to use that December 15th to January 1st and they will first April 15th. And that's how it was. My yeah. notes reflected yes. that. Yeah. That's what yeah. I thought too. Because I remember there was a lot of discussion because my neighbors were not very happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And admittedly, because it was a fall and a spring issue. I think the compromise was a reasonable approach. Yeah. But then the Nazi there. But like the using that access anyway this year is pretty slim because they'll need their forest service permits. Oh. And so he's working with them, but it's our understanding that it may be too late. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, for the Oh, really? So it looks like he's only going to be being able to operate on his 2,800 acres of the property. Okay. That'll make some people happy. Yes. Right. Yeah. They're still recovering from the rainbow. But it still needs to be in there. Right. Because this permit, the next year, there's all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. So that's why we had that condition, that last one about obtaining. Service yeah, that's clear. Okay. I, I feel you though. <laughs> huh? I feel you though. <laughs> um, yeah, I know all about that. Um, yeah. So we're doing solar. Yeah. So this next item, we've got the. Uh, Mike, what's your title? Yes. Sorry, I was on mute there. Uh, I'm the president and CEO of the Colorado Solar and Storage Association. So we're the trade group that does solar. So I liked that on that previous application, I liked that someone was like, you should do solar on your on your land there. And I'm sure I've got some members there uh, in Steamboat or in uh, Hayden that that uh, would be happy to, to set that up. Yeah, so we, uh, since we are anticipating some large-scale solar development and we will be working to update our regulations soon, we felt that it was appropriate to give you guys some education on it. And so I attended a conference in Rifle in June that Mike put on with uh, some government representatives and uh, people and developers. And they presented a lot of really good information. And so I invited Mike to present to y'all today to give uh, just a kind of like a brief overview of what's involved with these types of facilities, um, the different uh, elements of a facility, and then some of the land use impacts that are associated with it. So with that, Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Marvelous. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, as was mentioned, uh, you know, I run the Solar Association. So uh, we, we are dealing with land use and land use impacts all the time. 
Let me just confirm that you guys can see on the screen there the solar development basics and potential impacts of the big solar facility in the background. Is that what you see? Yes. Perfect. All right. So uh, Alan's asked me to sort of give you a 101, but I'm uh, happy to sort of quickly move into very, you know, burning questions you've got. I used to teach middle school, so I'm happy to, to, to be interrupted as you, as you have things. But the goal here is sort of lay out the very basics of what goes into a developer's thinking. So if I'm a, a solar developer and I'm thinking about where I want to put a solar facility or a solar and battery facility, what I'm thinking so that you as, as community members and as key policymakers can evaluate what I'm thinking against what also what your community is trying to uh, achieve through your land use code and whatnot. So um, the good news is, or the bad news depends on if you like to work or don't like to work, Route County is gonna be a pretty popular place and we'll get to that in a second. Um, broadly, the question is, you know, why solar? Why, why are we talking about this? What the, what the heck happened? Fundamentally, it's about three things in Colorado. First is customer demand. We're just seeing it broadly. Utilities want it, uh, uh, companies want it, municipalities want it, and individuals want it. Today, I'm just talking about the big, big projects, the, the thousand acre top type projects. Um, but you should be also, I assume, be seeing uh, rooftop systems going in uh, throughout, uh, probably Steamboat primarily, but also some other parts of the county. So customer demand's huge. In fact, it's like really big. If you uh, look at what gets added to the grid in 2022, the key thing there is if you look at that donut on the right-hand side, about half of the capacity will be solar. So that's, now that's in the U.S., so it doesn't include Colorado. They don't, fortunately, the EIA doesn't break down by state, but, but that's not dissimilar to what we're seeing um, here in the states. A huge amount of new builds will all be solar. We also have a push for local control and economic development. I just flag a couple of electric co-ops. I know y'all are served by Yampa Valley, uh, other co-ops in the state that are investing in solar locally so they can generate uh, both some local control as well as some local um, uh, jobs and, and tax revenue. And generally it's about this ability to really be in, in uh, be, you know, be, <coughs> excuse me, be, be in control that, that is uh, tempting and, and very interesting for uh, many parts of Colorado. And then finally, and this one's a little bit tougher to see, but really what you need to see is that, that when it comes to price, it's over here. This is where solar PV or, or what's another thing called thin film, but photovoltaics is here um, and wind is here. That's also why you're seeing a lot of wind built. Not a whole lot in your county, but a lot if you, if you go east. And then some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other, solar PV, so rooftop is considerably more expensive. You get down here, you get to some of the more carbon-based generation and what their prices are. And what's very, very, very lovely about solar and why this is so tempting, go back to customer demand, is that all of your cost is upfront. It's all a capital expense. Your ongoing cost for solar is, is very, very small. Um, so you can lock in a price for 20 years and you don't see a lot of fluctuation. Um, if you've looked at your uh, natural gas bill, if you use, like I use natural gas for home heating, um, you know, the price has gone up uh, quite a bit uh, due to the, obviously international events around Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But, you know, that, that fluctuation does hit your pocketbook. In the case of solar, another extent wind, you know, those prices are locked in 
uh, for 20 years and they don't fluctuate. So people love that. So those kind of three things are why we're seeing um, a lot more interest in solar. We'll get to why Route County is, is going to see a bunch here in a second, but I just want to kind of go very basic. And again, this is a lot to look at, but the key thing here is that here's the PV plant, the photovoltaic plant down here. Uh, oh, hold on, I got to do that on this screen down here or here. That goes through a thing called an inverter. Whoops, excuse me, I went too, too far. Um, and then in, all this electricity is generated in direct current, goes through an inverter to be inverted over to alternating current or AC, which is how the grid works, through a transformer, gets combined, it shows up at a substation, and then it goes out the transmission line. Um, there's a lot of others on how the grid's controlled, but primarily do that. In the event that you have a battery, I just point out that the batteries, they sort of, everything stacks in these very beautiful kind of almost server farm-like solutions, and they will usually sit behind the inverter next to the, to the PV plant here. So that's the basics of what a system looks like. And for your purposes, one megawatt of solar is five acres. Five megawatts of a battery is one acre. That will change over time. We continue to get better efficiencies, but roughly, again, five acres is one megawatt of solar. Five megawatts of a battery is roughly one acre. So that's going to be, that's going to play out, I think, pretty importantly as for y'all as you figure out your land, uh, land codes. So, Thanks, sorry, to, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but is this pretty much what they're setting up with South Gateway, the South Gateway project? Um, I, I'm not totally familiar with the South Gateway project. Is there, do you have more details on that one? It's coming from Wyoming through Northwestern Colorado, not too far from Route County, and then going out into Utah. So and that's a, yeah, so that's a transmission line. So that's actually a brilliant uh, segue into this. Um, so thank you for that. So transmission is the key thing. And you might recognize that this is, this is on the right here, I've got um, kind of a shot of the entire state. And this is the Northwest corner where y'all are at, and then we've blown it up here. Here's Hayden, you guys are very familiar with Hayden. And because of Hayden, you have a lot of transmission lines. Now, the, the transmission line you just uh, addressed is not actually, doesn't run through the county, right? But it does connect in later, um, I believe connects in down near Rangeley, if I remember correctly. Um, but again, that's an important line because that's taking wind out of Wyoming and ultimately it's gonna sell it on to either Las Vegas or even on to, to California. They're creating solar substations. Well, they're creating substations along the way for, for folks to be able to, to plug into it. Yeah, that is, they are definitely building those along the way. And you need them too to deal with um, the varying frequency uh, and voltage regulation uh, on the line as well. So yeah, that, those, that's the key thing. So transmission is your freeway, right? And y'all have a lot of freeways uh, that, are, that run, through, uh, th run through the county. So it doesn't do a solar farm any good to be, you know, way up here because they're a long way from the freeway. This is like being, you know, being a McDonald's in the middle of nowhere when really everybody knows you want to be the McDonald's right on the freeway exit, right? So with the uh, planned closure of Hayden, what that also does is if we stick with our, our freeway analogy, it goes from being a two-lane road to a four-lane or even a six-lane road. Um, as that capacity that Hayden is currently using to send electrons primarily uh, east 
although as you can see it could also send them south and west um, as that is freed up there will be additional capacity and so a lot of my developers are looking at route and moffett county um, and saying wow great infrastructure there will soon be more capacity we're very very interested in being there and so everything ends up being around the transmission line that is the the lifeblood. If you don't have the transmission line, if you don't have what's called the interconnection, you can't do your job. So let me talk about what that looks like, doing your job. A solar developer first finds a good interconnection location. So they're going to go back to that map that I just showed you and really dial in on a good place to be. Substations are premier, but even if you can't be on a substation, you can still tap into a line um, that's that's another option as well. So find good interconnections. So location, location, location. Maybe you've heard this, right? It matters for a solar developer in the same way it does, matters for a commercial real estate developer. They're going to go find land near that interconnection point. They're literally going to send emails, postcards, knock on doors of landowners in and around that space. They will then negotiate with that landowner either a, uh, a lease option or a lease straight up, and sometimes a sale, although a sale is, is less likely at this point. Your neighbors are gonna be set up to get a bunch of what we call mailbox money at that point, money that just shows up in the mailbox. And on the lease option, you'll sometimes see developers, they will lease option a lot of land. So a lease option is a small payment. Um, just in the event that I use your land, I get the option to then turn it into a lease at a much higher rate. But nonetheless, lease options still come with a little bit of money. And who doesn't like to walk to the mailbox and find a $50 or $100 check, right? That's, that's nice. So, and, and it would be more than that because you want to lease a bunch of the, the land. You will then, they will then meet you. So they're going to go do all of that before they talk to you. Now, we've been trying to get my guys to do a better job of coming to chat with you. But they're going to come chat with Alan and the team there in the, in the planning and permitting office. They're going to eventually have a permit application in front of you, and they want to get approval from the local jurisdiction to build a facility there. It does not guarantee that they will, though. So I want to be clear on this. What they're trying to do is de-risk the project. They're trying ultimately to convince the utility, whether that's going to be Excel or Tri-State or WAPA, or if you all you know, <clears throat> buying something locally, Yampa Valley, that, hey, if you give me, you know, if you contract with me for solar, I will be able to build it. Because look, I've got land, I've got a permit. The next thing they'll do after they get a permit or simultaneous to that is they'll get an interconnection study. So it's again, they go and talk to the utility and say, if I wanted to put 300 megawatts, you know, on the grid here, could I do that? You know, back to our, our interstate analogy, is the on-ramp big enough for me to, you know, pull my semi truck onto it? Or is it, is it you know a, a small, too small of a, of a lane to do that? Then once they have all that, then they will submit a bid into a request for proposal, an RFP from the utility. If that proposal is compelling, and there's a lot of things that go into that, price being one, production being another, uh, reliability, um, the developer's own history. So we have a lot of folks that are, uh, have a long history of doing projects, so they have a little bit more trust then and only then do they build a project. So the last time Excel went out for a request for proposal, they had 400 bids and they gave away eight awards. 
So the number of bids well outweighs the number of awards. That will happen again. Tri-State is on the street right now with, a, with an RFP or may have closed actually last week, but they've recently been on one for a couple hundred megawatts and they will, they'll be receiving dozens and dozens. So I want you to be very clear that you might see a lot of developers sniffing around. You might see a lot of land use permit applications. It does not guarantee that every single one of them will be built. But you do need to be aware that obviously if you recommend it and you issue them a permit, it could be, but it's unlikely that all of them will be, be built. And Mike, you mentioned that of the 400 proposals, eight were awarded. How many were actually built? <laughs> so far, three of them. Um, two of the projects flamed out. Two of the uh, three other projects uh, are in the process of being built and are supposed to be delivered in 23, 23 20, end of 22, 23, and the end of 23. So over the next 15 months, those remaining three will get done. So, um, another question quickly. Yeah. Do you know the megawatt capacity of the Hayden Station presently? Hayden Station or transmission lines out? No, Hayden Station. I want to say it's around 600. I think one, one turbine is 400. I think the other one's about 200. So, is my math correct then? Um, to replace those megawatts totally with solar, it's 3,000 acres for the panels and 120 acres for batteries. Did I do that right? Uh, Give or take. Mike, do you have a, can you answer that? So math is hard for me. I apologize, I was trying to follow along. Uh, well, I can't do it. 600 divided by five would be 3,000, or multiply. Well, so, so, so the two developers that we've spoken with, they, They've thrown out numbers 2,500 to 3,000 acres. Oh, and that would equate to 250 to 300 megawatts. Then something's okay. Well, but something's because, because when you say 3,000 acres, you still have like areas of that 3,000 acres that have slopes that aren't conducive to it. You've yeah. got water body setbacks, you've got roads, you've got these other constraints that fall within that boundary that make it not able to be able to use that entire 3,000 acres. But because then you also have like transmission, you've got, if there's batteries associated, associated with it. Um, so it's, it's kind of site specific. I just like this formula. That's, I mean, you're right. I just looked, it's 465 megawatts. So if you were to replace all of that, and, and, and Excel will, but if you were to place all of that in one place, then yeah, it'd be close to, you know, 2,500 acres plus some additional land needed for the things that Alan just talked about. So are the transmission lines that come out of Hayden Station all owned by Excel? Uh, so go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I, I can quickly go back to the, um, uh, to the, the, the graphic here. Uh, so most of these are what's called Piesco, which is Public Service Colorado, but that's Excel. But there is a WAPA line, and I think there's a tri-state line. Yeah, tri-state line here. So they're talking about getting an award from a utility, would it be for a specific line? Correct, it'd be very, very specific. In fact, it would be, you would, so let's say it's Kruger Solar Company, and I go and I, and I, put, a, and I put a request in and I say, 
I want to do 250 megawatts. I'm going to connect at the Mount Harris substation. Um, and I'm going to produce this much power over the course of a year. There, that's what the award would be for. It would be for that much power with that much uh, at that location plugging in there. Because I would have gone and gotten what's called an interconnection study showing that I could interconnect right there. So these are very, I think it was Alan who said these are very site specific solutions uh, for the utility. Uh, thank you. Great. Other questions on this? Because this is like, if you get this, the rest of the, everything else becomes a lot easier. What are the hazards associated with battery storage? Uh, they're minimal. Uh, you can't have a battery runaway fire with batteries. They're in self-contained shipping units um, and they're spaced. Uh, there's now code to space them apart so they don't jump from one to the other. I mean, like all things burning, you know, like a, a house or a car were on fire, you don't want to stand in the smoke. Um, but they'll be on a concrete pad um, and they'll be self-contained. And there used to be this idea that you should put them out. Uh, there, there was unfortunately an accident down in Arizona where two uh, firefighters were hurt pretty badly. And so now, the, now the, the, the best practice is just let them burn. They burn really hot um, and they burn pretty quickly. So, um, and once they catch on fire, you can't use them again. So there's no point in trying to like save them. Uh, but, but as long as you're not directly in the smoke, as long as you're not um, actively fighting the fire, there will be no, no additional damage worse than a car fire or, or a house fire or something along those lines. What is the uh, life expectancy of uh, the batteries in our atmosphere here, our weather? Yeah, so uh, batteries coming out of the factory right now are about a 10-year lifespan. Uh, much like your cell, I mean, they're the same technology as your cell phone. So it really depends on how often you cycle them. So like my dad doesn't use his cell phone very much and it's lasted him three plus years. I'm a heavy user plug. In fact, I'm plugged in right now because I can't get through the day without it. And my, my phones don't make it through two years, but that's, you know, and so it'll be up to the utility and the developer to figure out what the use uses are going to be. But traditionally, what, or what, not traditionally, but what we're seeing right now are kind of 10 year um, a battery life. And so for a solar project, which may have a 20 year life, it means that the batteries may need to be shipped out uh, at the 10 year mark, uh, depending on how they're performing. So that is a, as a conversation as you talk to developers, hey, if you have to change out these batteries, you got to lift up these shipping containers, move them out and bring new ones in. You know, what's the impact on the community? My, suspect, my suspicion is very little, but you know, that's a conversation you definitely want to have. Like what's your, uh, of the projects you come into contact with, what's the average size land mass? We talked about 3000 acres, but I've looked at a number of layouts just recently on the Eastern Plains that were 25 to 40 acres. So what, what would you say is a, a ballpark for what, or what's the range of what you see? Yeah, I mean, we'll see anything from half an acre. Um, there's a project that's on the, uh, front of the out beyond Burlington on the Eastern Plains, it's 5,000 acres. What you've been seeing on that, those specifically those 25 to 40 acres is a very specific type of solar installation called a community solar installation. It's a, it's a product of, a, of legislation. And those are all limited by statute to being no more than five megawatts at this point. 
So that's why they're all about 25 to 40 acres. Um, so that's, that's why you're seeing those. The stuff I'm talking about, I just want to be very clear, is going to be hundreds of acres. The, 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 if, if folks can find it in Route County, they're going to want to build bigger. The, just the fundamental you know, economics are the bigger you build, the cheaper the individual unit cost. It's like basic economics. So I get a better deal when I buy a million panels from a manufacturer than if I only buy 100,000. And so if I can do that, I will. And that's what, that's what I would expect to see. I would expect to see applications of hundreds of, of acres uh, in Route County. You, you, you know, the, the land is undulating up there. You've got, um, you know, it's not like the Eastern Plains where there's no trees. You guys have trees. So that, that, that can lead to shading. Um, and so I, I don't think you'll see thousand acres, but I, you know, I think Alan mentioned maybe, maybe there was one or two that was going to be like that. So... And then the, the type of solar facility plays into the size of it. So what we're talking about here is utility scale solar. There's also community scale solar, and that is what like the um, the community solar farms in Craig are. Those are the and those range from maybe like twenty to forty acres. And so those are the the size facilities that local utilities would build or that a developer would do for like um, like a, a community facility where you can go and buy three or four or five panels in a hundred panel facility to offset um, the use at your own residence because you're either in a condo or you don't have good solar access or whatever it may be. So there is a difference between community scale solar and utility scale solar. So this utility scale solar, that's the stuff that gets fed into those high voltage transmission lines and leaves the area, whereas those community scale solars, they are staying within the community that they're, that they're located on. And is there state grant money available for that? Mike mentioned state legislation. Is the state providing grant money? I know there's tax incentives for these, federal tax incentives. I don't know if there's state tax incentives. Um, but there are tax incentives for, for solar. Yeah, so, we can, oh, uh, there are no, there's no state money available, um, but, but uh, we can talk about the federal because there's some, been some legislation lately that's, that's a big deal on the federal side. I have that as slide 14 out of, we're on nine so far, so. What do we do with the ground underneath the panels? Uh, it's generally stays a little bit cooler and a little bit moister, but it's going to be whatever it is now. So that pretty much back. takes it out of the egg business, I'm guessing. So what? It takes it out of the egg industry. I mean, yes. So we can we can talk about that a little bit. I think um, let me let me just quick. I want to flag this one, and then we can talk about ag and how that works. Um, this is the slide how you guys don't get yelled at. This is the key thing. If you would like to avoid being yelled at, do these five things. So it's on my guys to make everybody aware that solar is coming, but they're only talking about their own individual project. And many of them will hold open houses and those kind of things. I think as, a, as, a, as policymakers, as decision makers within the community, you want to let people know that like, hey, a lot of this could come. There will be a lot of folks potentially knocking on your door. We would expect that this would follow in. You know, Route County has been a 
energy producer and energy exporter for a long time. We will continue to do that. It'll just be a different technology. But please know it's coming. So if you have a problem with that, be ready because people hate change. I don't know if you all know that, but change is not especially embraced. So they hate change. So when you propose a solar farm, they're like change and they freak out. So that's the first thing. Do your best to make sure people know. Second, once they know, invite them to collaborate with you. Industry wants to collaborate with you. We don't want to tell you how Route County should look. We don't want to tell you what you should do with your land. We just want to know what do you want to do with your land? We will be respectful. We will work with you. If you tell us the bullseye is this, we'll shoot for the bullseye. Uh, and I, you know, in talking to Alan, I was like, man, if you guys can work on your land rules, that's super helpful for us because we don't come in guessing what you want. We know what you want. So have that process. Have those folks who are like, you know, no solar ever. Have them in the same room with a solar developer or, or me or whatever. And we can talk through what are your real concerns, right? What, how do we address those things? Um, think about the community benefits you'd like to see. So we'll, we will bring short-term construction jobs. We'll bring long-term lease payments. We'll bring long-term tax benefits. But are there other things you'd like to see uh, for, from, the, from the solar developer? Uh, job training, scholarships. We had one community require that they build a short track race course. Not saying that that's great, but they have a one mile turn or they have a one mile total loop with a lot of left turns. Um, and my, you know, my developer said, okay, I've got to use, I've got to have land movers out there. We'll, we'll do that for you. So think about what you're, what you, how, what you'd like to do. Reducing impacts. I've talked to Alan about this before. There are places already that have been designed for or been been historically useless places that people don't care about. They don't, it's, you know, it's a mess over there. It's, you know, it's the other side of the landfill. Okay, whatever. Think about if you can reduce impacts, putting solar, letting, you know, if solar developers are proposing something that is gonna butt up right against your high school or downtown or whatever, you might in your land code say, that's not really where we wanna have it, right? So, um, and then finally, this is so important, and you can take a really important role in this. If you can align all the agencies, because I'm sure you have some state agencies that have some land and some oversight out there, your plans, your regulations. So, you know, as you've got, a, I'm sure you have a master plan for the county. Let's think about, you know, where does solar fit into that? And then have regulations that match that, right? We're not asking to be like stuck in a corner, because as soon as you do that, the landowners that you just picked, they get really rich and their neighbors get really mad, and then you get yelled at. So again, it's all about you guys not getting yelled at. So don't pick winners and losers. Don't say build here and don't build here because you just made somebody's Christmas and somebody else is gonna be very upset. But think about, you know, what does it look like? It is perfectly reasonable to say, we are not interested in having a 200 acre solar facility right next to, you know, downtown or, this brand new housing facility we've got or, or whatnot. On the flip side, Adams County has a plan. They say, we expect growth to go to here for the next 20 years. So if you're inside this boundary, we're gonna tell you no, because we expect there to be homes and Walmarts or whatever. But if you're outside of that, we're good because we actually want you to invest in the infrastructure upgrades. So then 20 years when sprawl has happened, we can move you on and we can then, you know, use that new infrastructure for new per, or old infrastructure for purposes. So these, this is kind of best practice to keep you from getting yelled at. 
what one somebody asked about the um like what's the best practice for the the actual large-scale units and this gets to the agricultural question right so um potentially in the biggest impact we're going to have outside of site so i can't help it if people just don't like to look at solar panels they're eight foot off the ground i don't know we'll put some fencing around them you can sometimes you can screen them but but really the big impact is your is your wildlife and understanding as a developer i need to have an understanding about what wildlife is where and there's also the potential for uh there to be an impact on uh on runoff on anything we don't want to move land anytime we move land that's expensive so that's why we always try to find flat south facing land you'll have to move some of it but i then as soon as i do that i have to have a dust plan i've got to have a weed plan um, we've seen increasingly um pushes by by communities to, to say, can you do sheep rather than herbicides and pesticides uh, on the property? Um, you know, the, that is less evasive, that's less long-term damage. Sheep are generally pretty docile animals and a, a local shepherd kind of gets a new contract. So it's kind of nice. Uh, makes no difference to my guys, right? They, they just need the weeds and the grass to not grow above the panels. So, because they block the panels, I can't get any free free energy from the sun. So that's an interesting kind of combo, but it's a thing to think about. So back to the question about ag, your farmers and ranchers are smart. They're never going to lease to us their most productive land. That's dumb. They will lose money if they do that. And they're smart folks. They run these very, very extensive small businesses. What they tend to give us is scrubland is dry land, is land that's not productive or land that is marginally productive. That's the land that, that folks want to give us and they want to lease to us for long-term. So could somebody take their best, most productive wheat or soybean or alfalfa? I suppose, but that's probably not what they do. What we find over and over and over again is they say, well, I've got that other 35 acres over there. I've got that other section over there that has no irrigation and, and, you know, I have to hope it rains. It's just easier if I just have you do that. So everything is site specific. I think as I encourage you, you know, one, one back to think about your planning and what you want to do, but we don't find that farmers take their irrigated most productive land and then lease that out for solar. They, they lease out a lot of dry land, a lot of scrub land. And so, you know, you get what you, what grows there naturally and that'll grow underneath the panels. And so back to the weed and grass management, thinking about, you know, how do you make that work? Uh, we do have to put up fencing. Um, there's a little bit of sometimes security lighting. It's ultraviolet, or uh, not ultraviolet. Yeah, ultraviolet, the blue stuff. Um, uh, usually it's not, it's not a spotlights, um, uh, but that's required by uh, National Electric Code to put the fencing up. Um, and then system cleaning and checks. For most projects, they'll see maybe one or two visits a year uh, around something. Uh, solar panel is effectively just glass. It lays in the field. And as long as nothing bad happens, like a hailstorm or a tornado, we don't need to come see it. The inverter sometimes will need, need some maintenance, but, but limited to no uh, visiting of the site. It'll be pretty, pretty mellow. Um, unless of course there's you know, some outside thing. And then decommissioning. How do we get rid of this damn thing? Which you'll definitely get. If you're not thinking it yourself, one of your member, one of your community members will say, 
fine. But what are we going to do at the end of it? Are they just going to throw everything away? Well, there's a couple options. One is potential for a developer to just come back and say, can I extend the permit? I, I'm, uh, I can continue to make power. Solar degrades at about 1% annually, a little less than 1% annually. So I like to show that I have a panel that is as old as I am. Both of us were built in 1976. This panel still puts out a very decent amount of solar, um, or sorry, electricity from the sun. It doesn't produce nearly as much as it did when it started, but it still does. So one option is you might extend it. The developer would have to come back and go through the process. Second is they might re what we call repower or refurbish. So I'm gonna pull the old panels out, the degraded panels out, and put new panels in. Um, uh, well, repower and refurbish are very similar. Um, and then refurbish is just some of the panels go away, repowers, all the panels go away. And finally, decommissioning. I'm going to tear the whole thing out. So those are your options at the end of life. Um, 20 to 25 years. I don't, again, how long does your land use permit allow them to be there? But um, question is, okay, so fine. Are you going to throw it all in our landfill? Well, all the retire. I mean, it's primarily glass a little bit of copper inside and silica inside. And then the, pan, the, the, the racks themselves are all steel. Um, and so they're all subject to your solid waste laws, right? Uh, primarily the steel gets reused and recycled. Uh, the solar panels do not as of yet. We don't have enough of them reaching end of life to have a recycle, uh, you know, viable recycle industry. Uh, we are doing that. We're, we're looking to do that. There are multiple manufacturers who are making commitments to do that. Um, and so that we expect, but we can't, at this point, we can't guarantee that that will be there in 2042 um, and to say that that's a thing. So it's very important as you, again, as you think about your community, what, how do you want these disposed of? And I think it's very fair to say we don't, we don't want a million solar panels thrown in our landfill. That's a, a very fair requirement. Um, you should make decommissioning plans part of your permit applications if you don't already, and they'll include lots of things. One of the questions is bonding. What happens if Kruger Solar goes bankrupt or I make a lot of money and I move to you know, Nice, France? Well, you can have a bond that will guarantee that you are able to then um, decommission the, the plant. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot there um, around decommissioning, but you should have as a good planning commission, um, clear expectations for developers to how to decommission, how to clean up after themselves, right? We I teach my kids, you probably taught your kids, hey, if you make a mess, clean up after yourself, same deal. We adhere to that practice. We believe in that. And we, we think that that should be part of the conversation for sure. And then uh, someone else asked about federal taxing, uh, you know, like where's the money coming from? The Inflation Reduction Act sets out for the first time ever a clear 10-year policy for solar, wind, and batteries. And the key, there's a lot in there, but the key thing is we have a 30% tax credit. So 30% of the cost of building the project I can reclaim as a tax credit. Um, with a 10-year window and a 30% tax credit, we now have a firm understanding what the policy landscape looks like. And there's a lot of money to be made, so a lot of folks are chasing, um, chasing solar and and wind projects and battery projects. And I've talked a lot, and you haven't talked enough. So, what questions you got? So, is it reasonable for us to assume that in a perfect world, you'd like to have your your members would love to have 
all 2,000, 2,500, 3,000, 1,500 acres in one spot? No. No. There's a couple of reasons. So utility doesn't want that either because, uh, you know, obviously the big difference between renewables and and traditional fossil-based generation is that we're dependent upon the sun and the wind, right? Batteries help, but they're not perfect. So if, I, if, if Excel were to replace all of the capacity uh, of, of the Hayden station there in Hayden, and y'all have, I don't know, three cloudy days in a row, or you get a big snowstorm, right? Snow melts pretty quickly off solar panels, but let's say you get a snow, like a, just a crazy one, right? Well, then Excel is down all of that, right? They can't use any of it. So the geographic diversity is going to be really important for Excel and Tri-State and everybody who's buying this. So they're going to probably spread it out. They'll put, they'll put some in Route County. They'll put some in Moffat County. They may put some out in Mesa County. They'll put a bunch out on the, on the Eastern Plains, but it'll be up in the Northeast. And it'll be down the Southeast. So they can kind of play the, the weather and, and ensure that they've got the capacity they need. For individual projects, however, I should be clear, Kruger Solar, I want everything as condensed as possible, right? So I want, if I'm asking for 1,500 acres, I do want them all together. And there's just really the reason is cost. If I have to, you know, checkerboard it, if you will, I've got to buy additional fencing. I've got additional uh, conduit and wiring I've got to lay. I've got additional trenching I might need to do. So... For individual projects, you you want them as concentrated as possible, but I don't I, I don't suspect that that the utilities will want all of the solar in one big chunk. What about the battery disposal? That, are they going to get recycled or reselled, or what goes on with the batteries? So, yeah, that's an excellent point. So, lithium-ion batteries. I will say that stationary batteries for the grid are a tiny chunk. Uh, what we su- suspect will be the case for lithium-ion batteries, which is mobile applications, EVs, right? Broadly, the cost of building a battery, a ch- huge chunk of it is pulling the disparate pieces from around the world. So you're buying cobalt from Africa, you're buying silica from uh, Asia, you're buying lithium from Chile, and you're putting them all together. And then actually building the batteries themselves are not that expensive. The battery industry is pretty good at this. So I suspect, and again, batteries, I mean, I mean, we've had, we have one battery, we had one battery, the first battery on the grid came in in 2019. So it's not even gonna, it's got seven more years before it's probably done. But there's real advantages. Once you build the battery, everything's concentrated. It's brilliant. Like I don't have to go to Asia to, to bring in my silica anymore or, or Chile to get my lithium. It's right there. So the battery, processing plants will actually be already have their stuff centralized and concentrated. So the assumption and batteries are really heavy. They're like crazy heavy. So you want to build your battery as close to its final use as you can. Um, it's, uh, you know, panels themselves are fairly, you know, fairly light, but batteries and, you know, these, these, these containers are really heavy. So the assumption is, and especially because the inflation reduction act has a lot of, uh, tax credits in there for battery battery manufacturing and recycling is that there will be a whole industry that will pop up to meet those needs and deal with disposal. So assumption is the economics makes sense and the kind of logistics makes sense. So therefore it should happen. Do we have a battery manufacturing or recycling facility now? We do not. Um, but again, the battery 
like the most recycled thing on the planet is your lead acid battery in your car. It's 99% recycled. So the battery industry is used to recycling. They're used to getting it. So, I, you know, but I think you can definitely write into your code, you know, appropriate waste disposal. And that doesn't mean just throwing it in the landfill. We have a question about process and timing of plants and um, so a lot of the plans and conversation around Excel and transition to a new job model and um, energy production facility are closed door. Um, and you're suggesting that we get out ahead of the conversation and understand what people want, which is tricky when it's not really open common knowledge about the direction that Excel is moving in generally. You know, is, it, is the solar development going to be in addition to battery storage or biomass combustion or like what does that look like and then how can we plan effectively and have some say in that with the company's decisions that are close to Yeah, so as somebody who fights Excel literally every day, it's what I spend the vast majority of my time and budget doing. I'm very sympathetic. Um, I think the best you can do on that is obviously take their public statements about what's happening um, and their public statements about where they're going and, and use those to inform your constituents, inform your, you know, your neighbors. Um, the other is Excel has made very public commitments to not leaving Route County and Hayden high and dry. So I don't know who your regional contact is, but it seems to me that that individual should be held to a pretty high standard of getting the word out that Excel is going to put out a request for proposal uh, in Q1. We suspect it'll be in Q1 of 2023. And that will be for lots of wind and lots of solar. And so between now and then, you're going, you may receive inquiries from solar developers or battery developers. Um, you know, that is, that is part of the process and, and, you know, and then, and the county is undertaking a land use code conversation. And so even if you don't get a knock on your door, your neighbor might, and if you have an interest in what that looks like, you need to be, you know, talking to the, to the team. It, I think there's enough in the public realm to give folks a heads up. Hey, it's coming. They may not know it's coming next door, right? That's that, that may not be decided for quite some time, a year from now, or, even 18 months from now, it might be when that, that becomes common knowledge. But I don't think it's crazy to say that, you know, Excel has plans to close Hayden. They have committed to the county to replace some of the, you know, tax base, and they'll do some of that through new energy projects here. Um, and, and the same goes, I mean, you talk about biomass, they absolutely, you know, biomass could be a thing. It's, Depending on how you source it, it's net zero, so it meets their their company goals and the state requirements. You know that's another thing to discuss as part of this land use code conversation. I'm probably way more comfortable with solar next door than I am a biomass plant that's you know it's burning stuff next door. Like that's so you need to have that conversation as well, um, no question. But I, I think I would put some of this on the Excel rep. They need to own this, and then I think part of it is it's pretty. It's pretty well known that there's a transition, it's happening, things are changing, and, and y'all are preparing for that, and you want to hear from your community members. Because if you don't, 
you'll get yelled at. People will show up and say, when did you decide this? Wait, what are you, how are you deciding this? This is so unfair. I don't like it. My neighbor's getting all this money and I ain't getting nothing. And I got to look at it. Right. It's biomass in addition to solar. And locally, we have more harmful emissions in addition to like 2,800 acres developed south of the station. You know, it's like that rough kind of overlap of clean energy. Yeah, we're still pumping stuff out. I mean, I think that's a consideration. That's what I consider. Like, is this going to truly be like, you know, an impact that can offset for clean XYZ in the future? But if it's not, and locally, it's also still XYZ, in addition to, you know, all these overlapping energy production, that's the information that I think would be important for considering as far as understanding what you're giving up for solar while not really gaining other. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear you on that. I would say that's a lot above my pay grade in that I don't, I too don't have any insight into what Excel is planning or thinking. And that's why I would, I would haul their regional rep or somebody else, you know, in front of this planning commission and say, hey, we, we know what the hell you're thinking, because we got to plan accordingly, we need to write land use codes for, for, you know, for that, right? Like, I would suspect you won't see any wind turbines up there. I know someone mentioned it's windy, but it just given the geography and things, I don't believe you'd see any. But you should confirm that with Excel because if you need to write wind turbine codes as well as solar codes, that's a whole other ball of wax because that really makes people grumpy. So, speaking of making people grumpy, um, could you talk a little bit about wildlife impacts? Yes, you sh you should avoid them. <laughs> so yeah so the, the the it is on the developer to talk to fish and wildlife and other state you know agencies and federal agencies to talk about you know what what lives here what do we know lives here and what what do we deal with if you end up in a place so so the biggest thing and i don't know if you guys have a lot of these but prairie dogs are the biggest problem we freaking hate those things um they love to burrow right next to the pylons so they that makes them very comfortable to come out of their burrow and have a pylon at their back so they don't get eaten by a hawk and then they love being underneath the panels because they don't get eaten by a hawk i get it so that's like a problem though because when they start burrowing next to the pylons the pylons you know we, we pile drive them but you start pulling away their supports they can start bending and things we hate that so um you know the the, the thing that we what i'm thinking about specifically are are birds and oh. um, like grouse for instance and yeah, so, yeah. other species that are in fact an issue here in terms of protecting their habitats yeah so write that into your code any any endangered or there's a couple steps right endangered is the big one but there's like you know concerned any habitat that that has that you know that is identified as being for those folks we're just not going to permit anything there. End of story. I, that's, you know, if, if that's what the community wants, I'm going to be clear, my guys are going to kill me for saying that, but if the community, you know, if, if part of the future of, of Route County is ensuring that you've got a diverse wildlife habitat so that you can do cool outdoor, you know, you can attract a bunch of birders who spend a bunch of money in town, then y'all should just write that into your code, 
Like that's what it should be, right? Um, I think there's some ways in which you can mitigate them. So you don't have to be a hard no, but you could say, all right, developer, you better come up with a really good mitigation plan for this. And so we see in places with large mammal migratory patterns that they are requiring corridors that are, you know, I forgot what CDP or not uh, Fish and Wildlife likes, but but they have corridors. So you, you do end up with a, um, a project that looks a little bit more like a checkerboard or a chessboard um, so that those pronghorn or elk or whatever can, can cross through. We kind of have all of the above. Yeah. Wildlife so, corridors, elk, deer, grouse. So we're, uh, that is definitely something that we are taking into consideration. We are going to meet with CPW to understand what their recommendations are, what their best management practices practices are, we met with a wildlife biologist from the Fish and Wildlife Service this week to understand their concerns. And they are actually putting on a presentation with Mike and COSA on October 4th to go over some of this stuff. And so I am going to forward all of you that, uh, that invitation with the Zoom link to that presentation so you can attend if you want. And Al, what do you what do we think about trying to reach out to Excel yeah. to get them in here? Um, I mean, I think it's a, a sort of a telling itself. It's somewhat in their best interest. If we're going to go through our codes with a thought of at least providing a path towards solar, you would think that they'd like to have some input into that and move well. So I believe that they have filed with the PUC to have one generation unit be considered for biomass and the other one for molten salts. So I can confirm that, but based on that, I would say that this is this is likely because you you asked about batteries. Molten salts are that. So if that is what they do end up doing, I personally would be surprised if there were batteries associated with any of these facilities. But could I could be wrong on that? I think it just depends on what happens with Excel, the PUC, and then the developers. So I think it's kind of a we need to craft our regulations to take battery storage into account and have it there and if it doesn't get used so but at least it's there in case we yeah. developers um, will be bidding batteries into the into the rfp for sure and excel has expressed interest in having batteries because they when your fuel source costs nothing you there's no reason why you wouldn't save it Right, so they may use the molten salt facility, but they might also want to use a battery, um, you know, for for other purposes. And not only that, you know, they're not worried about you locally, but they've got the entire, you know, their entire footprint in the state to take care of. So they might need if the sun's shining up in, you know, in your neck of the woods, and they can fill up a battery that makes up for a day that it's windless out in Lamar or whatnot. So hey, Renz has hand up for a while. I'm not really in charge, but I feel like we should call on him. <laughs> Mike, you're a good man. Glad <laughs> someone out there's noticed paying attention. Uh, two questions, um, and and first, thank you for your presentation. Very very informative. Number one, in terms of the marketplace right now, what's kind of the 
max distance that you're seeing from the transmission lines? Oh, fabulous question. It's a million bucks a mile. So you can imagine my guys don't want to spend very much money building, building lines. Also, lines are tough to, to uh, permit because y'all are going to want to have some comments on, on gen, generation tie lines. So most folks are trying to be next to, like quite literally next to uh, substations um, or, 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 or transmission lines or within a couple of miles. Um, and again, the topography really matters. Um, so if a, if a transmission line is running over, you know, a bunch, like a bunch of hills, but there's a flat, you know, land two miles away, somebody might put up with, with spending $2 million on a generation tie line, but predominantly they don't want to spend any more money on generation tie line transmission or go through the process of getting that approved by y'all or the additional, you know, additional leasing that they've got to lease that land or get a, get some sort of right of way. So it's a giant hassle. It's done with a giant hassle, but, but it's at a million bucks a mile. Uh, it actually might even be more than a million bucks a mile. That was a pre COVID number and everything's more expensive now. Um, so not, not very far is the answer. Right? Okay. Uh, second question are so much of, you know, we lost, you know, a, a wonderful employer or we're losing a wonderful employer in our county um, with very long-term, you know, high paying jobs. Um, in addition for us, we are losing a serious property tax revenue. Yep. Our counties is the conversation um, coming where counties are looking at property taxation for this type of, you know, revenue for the landowner? So Excel is on the hook. Um, I'd have to go check, but I'm almost positive they're on the hook for making you guys whole for a certain amount of time um, on property tax for Hayden. Uh, I know that they are for Pueblo for sure, and I'm pretty sure they are for y'all as well. Um, and except that if, if they put a new solar or wind or biomass facility or anything, they put that in the, in the county and they can count that tax payment off of what they owe. So they can select Kruger Solar. I can build a solar facility. I pay property taxes per your you know, mill levy and whatnot. And now Excel has to pay less. So they're actually quite motivated. And this is what, another reason why, in addition to your transmission lines, another reason why I think Excel will, will want to pick a few, few um, projects in Route County is that they're on the hook for XYZ dollars. If they can basically offload that payment to somebody else, they're better off. So solar will not, just be clear, solar will not backfill the entire, it, it just won't. You're, there will be, and, and there's a whole office of just transition. There's some federal and state money coming to help figure that out. Um, but it, it will backfill some of it. And, and Excel, I believe is on the hook for, for making the county whole for, for a few years anyway. I think it's through 2030, or when are they closing? 2026 or 2030? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But, so, uh, so solar facilities are assessed by the state. They're not assessed locally. Really? And so the state does the assessment, and they've got a formula that they can plug all those numbers into. And I have, and it's, the, the assessment is based on the, 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 the name plate capacity. So the name plate capacity is that 250 to 300 megawatts that is proposed to be generated. 
And so you plug all that information in. And ironically, the person that's in charge of this at NOLA is also named Michael Kruger. And <laughs> we have gotten, I have sent that Michael Kruger's messages that are supposed to go to this Michael Kruger. But so they did an estimate for us and gave us the, what the assessment for a 250 megawatt facility is. And then our assessor plugged it into the assessment value. And it comes out to, and this is just an estimate, $650,000 a year in property taxes paid on one of these facilities. And that's almost 20 million over a 30 year period. Versus what today? I, I don't know what. Uh, well, I mean, you can see why I asked the question. It sounds like that's, a big number, but I don't know what that means. To me like it's very small. Number. Very small number. I, yeah, I don't know. Mike, do you have a thought on that? Well, I mean, I have I have no idea what Excel pays in property taxes for Hayden Station. Not, I mean, they're the they're the largest tax largest. I've, they say this every time we we testify at the at the at the at the Capitol. They talk about they have the largest tax bill in the state. I think is what they say. So I'm sure it's a large number, no question. Yeah, they are the largest taxpayer in the county, followed by the mine. Ski area is number three. So um, and I think y'all's question was, what, what is the tax loss based on Excel closing down? And then what is this going to yeah, get you uh, same place. supplement? Yeah, and right. I don't know the best yeah. answer for that. Hey, I'm not saying there's anything you can do about it, but it'd be interesting to know. I, mean, yeah, I yeah. think that gets to be a debate. Yeah, I heard hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I would bet it sells in the yeah. millions of dollars. I think it's at least a, a magnitude. Yeah, it's a magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, did you have follow up questions? Brent? Brent? Don't hear you. He's on mute. I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you have a question? Did you have a follow up no. question? No, okay. thanks. That, that got me where I needed to be. Thank you. Thank you. We're back with you. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I not much else. I would say the October 4th um, presentation to the Fish and Wildlife is going to look a whole lot like what you just saw. <laughs> By that, I mean, it's going to have every, the same slide, except for the transmission slide will look different, but it's, it's the same sort of process that we, you know, we share with everybody is ultimately it's about local community decision-making and ensuring that you make those decisions so that when my developers show up, the, you know, that they know what to look for. Otherwise it looks like this. I'll just let you know how it goes. And we played this out a lot of them. The first one comes to you and you go, looks good. Landowner's happy. Maybe there's an angry neighbor, but generally it looks good. Okay, good. You, you sign off on it. It goes to the Board of County Commissioners. Then another one shows up and you're like, oh, I, I, I guess we're doing this again, but okay, looks good. Sure, you approve it. And then the third one shows up and somebody, it'll either be one of you or it'll be some neighbor. You're like, are we going to carpet the whole damn county in these solar panels? What are you doing? And you get yelled at. I promise you it's happened. It happened in Adams and Weld and Washington and Lincoln and Pueblo. And just don't get yelled at. Have a clear work with Alan and the team and have a clear plan. So my guys know what they're going, know what your community wants to have and wants to see happen. Um, 
and and everyone there'll be a little yelling because some neighbor will not like it or they'll be jealous that their neighbor is making a lot of money and they're getting nothing but they'll be limited yelling and we've already been through that yeah okay so yeah so imagine that but you get to do that for the next six months right this is exactly what you get you signed up for so well we get paid big bucks So I've I've sent Alan my PowerPoint and and it's got my contact info. I'm happy to jump on a call or a Zoom. Um, I don't weigh on weigh in on individual projects. Just to be clear, it's my developer's responsibility to do a good job for you. So I, I just try to set the field so they they know what they're walking into. So I'm I'm. Not if you call me and say, is this a good developer? Is this a good application? I'm not going to weigh in on that, but certainly I'd love to continue the conversation around as you work through your land use code and, and be helpful in any way I can. And, you know, if I, if you, if I need to, you know, if you want me to come up in person, it's not that hard. I love it up there. I think it's beautiful. So it's not that hard for me to go come up with a good excuse to go, you know, visit. So shameless plug there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Hope to hear from y'all. Good luck with your work up there. And thanks again for your, you know, volunteering. This is, it's unsung hero kind of stuff. So have a good evening. Good night. Thanks. Bye. Are you getting comfortable in the process of developing rigs, because I know you one point Matt talked about having them in place by the end of this year. Well, I mean, that was when we first got approached by these developers in March, they're like, RFPs coming out in May. Oh. RFPs coming out July. Right. RFPs coming out in November. Yeah, now we're hearing Q1 is yeah, right. free. Yep. So, so if you saw me go like this. Can <laughs> <laughs> answer the question? But I think the plan was to get a consultant on board for the reg update and prioritize this. Sure. So that makes sense. At the front, and we've done a lot of work on this. I have a draft checklist already <laughs> written out. I've got <laughs> draft regulations already written out. So. And we're meeting with everybody that we need to meet with. We've met with YBEA, ski area, fish and wildlife. Um, we're going to be meeting with CPW, uh, uh, the Community Ag Alliance we met with. And so we have met with Excel um, with the local rep. Um, through the master plan update process. And they, as he said, they're very tight lipped. And I mean, you would think that we were like, we are updating our master plan. What kind of land, what kind of land use are you anticipating you might need so that we can try to work that into the master plan? Crickets. Really? Your response. I mean, I think I, I thought that by saying you can craft this master <laughs> or you can you can help us craft this master plan to help you out, you'd think they would jump all over that, but no, uh, I think I think the benefit, the, like the biggest takeaway that we got from those conversations was just clarification on the process and the RFP and timing. Yeah, which you know that that definitely you know um, gave us a little relief because we knew it wasn't going to be May and we knew it wasn't going to be the summer. I think they told us in November, 
and now we're hearing yeah, it's right. more directly next quarter. So that was really helpful for the timing of things, but then also to understand that, um, which wasn't really clear to me in the beginning when we were being approached um, by several different solar companies, is that <clears throat> you know the RFPs that are going to go out um, are are for statewide. It's not specific to this. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, you said that once. Yeah. And so that was a little bit of a <clears throat> relief too, or just really clarity, provide that clarity that we needed. That you know, yes, I think that <clears throat> um, this area in Brown County is very desirable, clearly. Um, but there's other factors that you know why they may consider other projects elsewhere. Well, but it also really defines me. You know, Red's question was really down about how far away yeah. can these areas be? Because if you can, you know, you map those transmission lines and you map those those substations, and then you say it's a million miles or a million bucks a mile further away yeah. from that. I mean, you can come up with a corridor where it's likely or not likely in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, that's very easy to do to just come up with where those areas of the county are. That's pretty easy map. And that was one of the things we wanted to get out of that study mm -hmm. to like understand what, what areas would be best suited for this so that we could maybe do a future land use map or at least some kind of overlay. Yeah, in, in place to help support that. But also, when I was at that conference in June, I was talking to some developers and they said the larger the facility, the further away it can be from the transmission. Well, that makes some sense. Yeah, just because like the, the bigger the facility, you're yeah. gaining those economies of scale sure. that you could then put into the transmission. But if you have to also consider all the slope of the ground. Yeah, yeah. And the easements. You know, in the yeah. places that the transmission lines are, I mean, it just seems like there's there's a formula there to figure out. Hire someone to do modeling potentially, or mm -hmm. Excel yeah. should do it, but potentially, but they're so tight lipped. They're not going to talk about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, can you develop preliminarily like regulations that say, you know, solar development can't happen without X, Y, Z understanding? And then go back in and modify the zoning and regulations when you have that information more readily available and just kind of make it more positive. Because I don't think that that part of the county that you know that has that and understanding what those impacts look like are going to be the most critical. Um, you know, it's already industrial and pretty developed, but well, and, and those transmission lines have already gone through huge, you know, BASs and stuff like that. So there's yeah, but the one long ago, the one thing that did concern me, and it was his like his state diagram mm -hmm. of the process, was that he was saying that developers want to get land use approval prior to an interconnection study and prior to submitting an RFP. So that concerns me because I don't we like spoke, that. Yeah, I don't like. But isn't that simply a case of? If we have a set of regulations in place, they should be able to be in a position to sit down and look at a regular. Well, I guess it'll work here, but it ain't gonna work over there. So they kind of address that Well, like so where I'm going with this is because we spoke to one solar developer and they were looking at directly south of the heat station. A month later, the next developer came in and they were just east of it. 
south of the town of Hayden. So we're talking about both of them were proposing 2,500 to 3,000 acre facilities. So if they want to get land use approval first, you're looking at one 3,000 acre facility right next to another 3,000 acre facility. And I, that's questionable whether that's appropriate. Right. Yeah, you're talking about cumulative impacts. Right. And then so what what the like I mean with planning, mm -hmm. right? You could potentially maybe reduce the size of scale, but also patchwork it for habitat purposes and all yeah. this other. Like, but it's expensive, it seems like right. to be. Well, and in order to make that really work, it's gotta be in the regulations first to say yeah. that's what we do, right? Yeah. I mean, but that was a little bit different information though, what you you just touched on from what we heard from the two companies that approached us, and I thought from Excel, um, is that in order to apply for the RFP, they need assurance, and the assurance wasn't an actual permit. It was basically that we have regulations to support that they, or we have the zoning to support it, okay. that they can include in their RFP. So I was a little surprised by you know, and saying actually, there's a difference of saying, hey, we've met with the county, we've met with all the right people to say that this is possible, it meets zoning. Yeah, that's you know, one set of need a land use permit versus obtaining an actual land use permit just to apply the RFP, right. which I can understand makes it more competitive and attractive, right? Yep. So that is. And he might have meant that. Yeah. It came out wrong, and too. That, that's something that I'll follow up with. Yeah. So are both those parcels, do they have the transmission lines crossing them or nearby? Yeah, right here. Uh, just, just work on them, yeah. So cross the back of our property. You can be there. Right in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see Brian like switching here. I'm just going. You might have to get it. Oh, man. No, I got <laughs> vested interest. <laughs> then you'll be out there. So, uh, any other questions on this? No, I think we're just all impressed that you're ahead of the game. Thank yeah. you. Once Seriously, again. that's well done. I had a conversation with one of the potential candidates for Route County Commission in depth. And I just suggested to her, I said, you don't realize how good a staff that you have here. She said, oh yeah, I do. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's good. But anyway, compliment. Thank you. You're welcome. So I cannot get on the internet um, to look up the schedule. So Alan, I got just love I got kicked out. So we're talking about solar power. You can't even get on the internet. Well, we're just going <laughs> here. It's, it's, it's this room. This room. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I can't get back on it. So, um, but I don't. I think we have something scheduled. We don't have anything scheduled. Um, October 5 is October 6. Um, so we don't have anything for October 6. Is that, is that, no, not the 6. There's not going to be an October 6. Oh, okay. Yay. <laughs> I think you said that last time too, but I think you said we're not sure. Yeah. And then next week, we are all going to Snowmass for a Mountain Town Resort Players Conference. Ooh. So that's the four of us, Michael, Christy, Sally, and I. 
Nice and, address. Huh? Nice address. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Christy and I will be back the next week. And then the following week, we are going to New Orleans for a conference on the new software that we got. Cool. You got a budget for all that? What's that? You got a budget for all that? The city view is coming through the building department uh, ah. budget. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, so that's just the two of us. But um, there is city staff, county, and, state, and county staff going oh, wow. uh, to that conference. Nice. And that's for our city view shared software, common software that we have to share with the city. So um, that should be a good one. So next Tuesday at the commissioners that's is going to be considering that. The following week, we the commissioners, the board of county commissioners have D, D recycling and snow country. And then the week after that is Thunderstruck and the two items tonight. So we go this yeah. evening. So that should be somewhat interesting. Yeah. And yeah. then um, we're starting to schedule master plan outreach uh, meetings and meeting circling back at all the stakeholders that we previously met with. We have a meeting scheduled on Monday at one o'clock. It's a joint meeting with the city with the county commissioners to present the master plan. But also they're gonna be there's gonna be a presentation by the city on the mountain area case, the mountain area plan. Um, Mountain there, and there's going to be a presentation on the extension of the floor trail west by the city, and then an update um, on the Steamboat Springs area community plan. Um, as you know, uh, the county is partnering with the city on that project. Uh, there was an intent to start that this year. Obviously, we did not have the capacity, nor did the city spread yeah. out push to next year. So there'll just be an update of what that process um, and the timing of that will look like. The city will take the lead on that, uh, but we will um, be part, part of that process. Is, yeah. that, is, is that all just staff that's engaged or so it's all like public? On, on Monday. Oh, oh yeah, Monday. It is a public meeting, um, but it's it's a joint meeting. I don't know if they do public comment for it, but I mean it is open if it's a Monday. You can zoom in, so this is zoom option, or you can come in person. And it's Monday, so we'll say. Right. It is, but it's um, I mean they meet quarterly with the city. Um, and I don't know why they scheduled it on Monday. Yeah. I think it's but anybody can listen in on a work session for sure. And would it be reasonable to assume that the court trail going east is dead? It's um, dead, so we have a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> that expression, you probably don't have to say further. <laughs> Never mind. We have been... No, it's not. Yeah. It's not fair to say that. It's not. You okay. know, we have been working with city staff, the applicants, and us. That's fine. I just diligently um, trying to. Um, Do I also sense the word tryingly in there too? Frustratingly. And, um, okay. Really just trying Not to said. get it where it needs to be. To Not said. To the research. <laughs> um, and uh, the community presentation on the development plan for Broad Ranch is October 6th. 
That's at the uh, Spring Pavilion. And there's two times. Yeah, two o'clock and six o'clock. Take notes, I'll be in Edinburgh. Mm. Will that be online? Will that be online too? I, I don't think it is. Oh, you're see. I'm not sure, oh, but. Um, well, I mean, you have to clarify. I'm not, I'm not sure it is. Well, I don't know which one's worse than that. <laughs> Um, and um, we skipped over the. I mean, I, I came in late. I'm sorry, so I don't know if there were formal introductions. No. Meet Sally. I said hi, Jerry. <laughs> so Sally Robs, our planner too. Um, as we have informed you all um, that we hired, we're happy to have her. And um, you know, hopefully, <clears throat> we're gonna give her the next application. So yeah, we're excited for her to contribute and uh, share her expertise and her backgrounds, natural resources, conservation, violent fire, you know, fire, firefighter, and uh, you know, she's she's pretty badass. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, so yeah, meet Sally. Welcome. What are we starting on the subject or the regulation? Uh, so I submitted the Dola grant. It didn't get kicked back, so we're in good shape. Um, as I mentioned, I think we have a really good chance um, of getting this Dola grant. We will know beginning of December, December 1st is when we apply that if we get the award. Um, I am, my next project is starting to work on an RFP um, starting next week. Um, and we'll get that out because we will go through the RFP process um, starting in November. A lot of that work Yeah, it, it, that won't be too difficult. We can kind of use the similar format uh, that we did for the master plan grant. Um, so the idea would be that we would have a, um, a consultant on board um, for the beginning of the year, you know, first quarter <laughs> to align with the, the solar. Yeah, my one concern is um, just because there's so much money out there available for communities to update their plans and regs and things like that. Um, I hope that we get some good responses well, to the RF. Sure, sure. You know, uh, that is my concern. We do have a couple of consultants that we know uh, who love to respond that we can send to them. Um, but hopefully they have the Mm. Is what it is. Yeah. So um, when we put together that RFP panel, it'll likely be somebody from planning commission, it'll probably be the county commissioner, um, and then we'll bring on uh, some other people to that review panel and I'll just keep informed of what that looks like and who wants to volunteer. <laughs> we have a number of people that would love to volunteer. I'm sure. <laughs> or be volunteered. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, 
That's all I got. Okay. Thank you. That's a lot. Right? Yeah. We're good. That's a lot. We're up. Thanks. Thank you. Stop recording now, Sarah. Yeah. I, know. I, know. I don't think that's for me. This was actually my Perfect. It'll come back to me eventually. Thank you.